And now, it's time for Floria. Hi, welcome to Attitude of Altitude, Mindset of Happiness podcast. My name is Floria, founder of Recognize Your Potential, and I am thrilled that you have joined us here today. And do I ever have an exquisite uh, surprise, delightful guest here today with me, Pauline Dakin, whom you all know. You know her voice, you know her work, and you love her as much as I do. Welcome, Pauline. Thanks, Floria. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for joining me here today. Um, let me give a quick introduction to Pauline, and then I will hand it over to her because this is going to be her show today. Pauline Dakin is the best-selling author of Run, Hide, Repeat, a Memoir of a Fugitive Childhood, published by Penguin which won the prestigious 2018 Edna Stiebler Prize for creative nonfiction and was named one of the best 100 books of 2017 by Globe and Mail. And an inside um, news that there is another award in the works, but we can talk about it because it isn't uh, finalized yet. It isn't announced. So you will hear about this, but you heard it here first. <laughs> Pauline is a professor of journalism at the University of King's College. She's an award-winning journalist spending many years as a national health reporter for CBC News, as well as the host of the documentary program Atlantic Voice, which I was uh, a devoted listener. Uh, she lives in Halifax with her daughters, a very old cat and a very silly puppy. <laughs> so. Help me welcome Pauline. Thank you very much. That's a, that's a lovely introduction. Thank you. You have lived it. <laughs> there, that's true. <laughs> I honestly, as on my way here this morning, I was so grateful filled with appreciation the whole time of walking here for the half hour to Dalhousie University uh, this morning. I was appreciating how graceful you are, that you, I invited you to be on my uh, podcast and you without a moment's hesitation said sure love to you didn't say i need to check my calendar <laughs> well first of all i love podcasting right and i'm a broadcaster and so i don't feel nervous about it like some people might when they're, they're new to it so i was very happy to come and talk to you or to have you come to talk to me because 
We're at uh, the studio where my students do their podcasts every week. Yes, and this is a beautiful studio that we are in uh, today at King's College at the, uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax, and delighted to be here. Um, Thanks, thank you so much, Pauline, for having me here. And as I was walking here, and I'm thinking, okay, she's the real pro. <laughs> she has had many interviews under her belt. I'm a newbie. I'm barely a wannabe. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to be interviewing Pauline Dagan. Oh, my goodness. Floria, you have no shame. And I said, oh, well, I'll just keep on learning. Well, I was saying, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be interviewed by Floria today. <laughs> so you want to bet that I'll probably learn something, too. Well, thank you so much. Life is all about the learning part and having fun while learning. So let's get started. Uh, and of course, your book, and I was there for your reading of the launch of your book in Halifax, and I totally was delighted by uh, your perspectives. So what made you want to write the book? Why did you write it? This is your story. Hmm. Well, I didn't originally want to write this book. In fact, I had spent many years trying to just forget about what my book is about. Um, and, and for folks who haven't read it, uh, it is a memoir and it is about growing up um, in some very bizarre circumstances and uh, finding out as a young adult that we were on the run. And this is why we'd kind of disappeared from our lives a couple of times, uh, sort of packed up and moved away without telling anybody. Uh, and that happened twice. And so as a young adult, I was told uh, by my mother and by a close family friend that we had been on the run from the mafia, which was devastating. And beyond that, that my father had been involved with organized crime in Vancouver, where I'm from. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so there were a few years of some very bizarre things going on. Uh, and at some point... Um, I realized that story wasn't true. And what transpired after that, I think, is even more bizarre. Uh, I, I, it was a great mystery in my life why these two people, my mother and this close family friend, would, um, would tell my brother and I this when it wasn't true. Why would they do this? They were very loving, responsible people, respected in the community. Uh, I thought, well, you know maybe he's psychotic or something, but, you know, he just didn't fit that um, at all, that diagnosis. And then as, uh, you know, later, uh, as uh, I guess somebody in my 40s, I started an MFA program here at King's. I was doing the Masters of Fine Arts and Creative Nonfiction, and I had a book project in mind that was about kids and technology, and I had fully researched it because I had done a series about this for the CBC, and I just thought there was more to say, and I was going to write a book about it. And as part of that program, we all had to stand up in front of our class and pitch our book, what we were going to write about, and I stood up and I pitched that, and everybody went, nodded their heads and said, oh yes, that would be very interesting. And for some reason I still don't really understand, I said, can I pitch one more? 
And I told this group of near strangers my story. And uh, most of my closest friends didn't know anything about it. I just had not talked about this in my life. I had tried to put it behind me as just this horrible mystery that I just couldn't understand. And, and I was just going to move on and make the best of my life. And then out it came. And they all looked at me. And then they picked their jaws up off the floor and said, yes, write that book. <laughs> and so... I started to, and, and I started to do it mainly as a way of trying to sort out for myself. What was that? You know, you reach a certain point in life, you get a little bit older, and you want to make sense of the things that have happened to you. And so that was part of what I was thinking, and also I knew at some point I would have to tell my children about this. And I wanted to be able to do it in a, in a more nuanced and thoughtful way than just, you know, telling them. I didn't, I wanted them to preserve their good relationship with my mother. So I knew that there was a chance they would judge her and be angry at her. And I didn't want that because they were very close to her. And so the, I thought, I'm going to write this book so that they can understand in all of its complexity and layers. And then as I was writing the book and doing research, I made a big discovery, and that discovery was that Stan, this close family friend who'd been, who I had decided was really where the story originated, he was the guy who made up this story, and my mom just believed him. And I discovered that he had a very rare uh, psychiatric condition called delusional disorder. And for years, I had every once in a while kind of done a little bit of research to see, you know, Okay, it's not psychosis. Could it be something else? And I guess, you know, maybe um, Google had just improved its search function or something, and one day um, I was uh, reading um, a, in a medical journal and, and did this search and discovered this paper about delusional disorder, which I had not heard of before, and which apparently most family doctors even will not encounter and have not heard of. Or they may encounter it, but they don't know what they're seeing maybe. And, uh, and it immediately clicked for me that th this is a condition uh, where very high-functioning people who appear completely normal can have a delusion, a very fixed delusion about one thing in their life. Everything else looks normal. They can have, you know, responsible positions in society and raise their families, and nobody knows that anything's wrong unless you get caught up in that delusion, as my family got caught up in his delusion. So, you know, I did a lot of research about this, and um, the more I learned, the more I realized that's what was going on. So when I learned that, suddenly everything changed for me, and I thought, I have to share this story because... How many other people are out there who've had their own encounters with delusional disorder and just, you know, have had their lives derailed like we did? Uh, and, I, you know, for years I searched for some explanation of what had gone on. I need to share this story and talk about delusional disorder. And so at that point I decided I would try to publish the book. So that's my very long answer to why. <laughs> Pauline. As I was sitting here listening to you, I was getting goosebumps. And I was saying, wow, what an incredible experience to have. 
to live through, to share, to write about. And the fact that you uh, were open enough and given your background on the health research, you did the work and you found answers. I was very lucky that way. I was very lucky. I mean, there was work to it, but you know, it, it was a series of happenstances that brought me to this grand realization, and I'm really grateful for that. Well, you also opened yourself up um, as opposed to closing the door. You opened yourself up and was ready for more. Yeah, the timing was right for the me. The timing was right, yes. Yeah. That makes a whole lot of difference. It does make a difference, yeah. Um, now that a couple of years has gone by since you've written the book, how do you feel about this experience? Uh, well, it's, I have to say, it's been quite a ride, <laughs> you know. Uh, Penguin did a very big release on this book and sent me all over the country to do launches and readings and so on. And, and so one of the interesting things that happened as a result of that and the publicity that it's received is that I have heard from people all over the world who have, in fact, had some kind of an encounter with something that they say sounds very much like delusional disorder. I still get emails at my website and otherwise um, from people who say, you know, my brother, my auntie, my, you know, sister, whoever, mm -hmm. this person in my family has had this situation and this is, it sounds very much like this and I'm so glad to know what might be going on because it's, you know, it's been so troubling. Um, so that has been uh, a good thing. Uh, and as a result of that, I uh, have a development agreement around a documentary about delusional disorder. So to explore this m a little bit more uh, for people who, um, you know, have, have had, had such difficult times in their lives as a result. And I have to think that the more we talk about this, the more light we shine upon it, the more interest there will be in the medical community to understand it better. Because at this point it is very, it's under-recognized, it's under-diagnosed, it's under-treated, uh, and it's very much understudied. It's very hard to do the research on this because it's hard to find these people. They don't turn up and say there's something wrong with me because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. So it's the family members who are reaching out who may be able to help and, and drive some kind of um, change around this so that there is more attention, more research, and potentially more, better outcomes for people. Wow. Um, yet again, you have turned a new leaf and you're going to do more research in this, which is fantastic. By the way, we will put a link to Pauline's website on the podcast and on my website, Recognize Your Potential. And um, just tell us your website. My website is paulinedakin.com and it's Pauline. Dakin, D-A-K-I-N.com. And we will put uh, the link to it on my website as well as the podcast as, uh, so that anybody who uh, has more questions, uh, wants to follow up, 
uh, more information, they, you can contact Pauline. And that is one of the wonderful things these days about technology. <laughs> we can all contact each other. Um, let's talk about forgiveness. Okay. What, is, what does it mean to you? Has, how has this experience um, evolved um, in terms of the forgiveness? Because when you were starting to write the book, you mentioned that you didn't want uh, your, your daughter's relationship be impacted with their uh, grandmother. And so there was uh, pain and or uh, anticipation of some things. And uh, so how have you um, gone through this? Hmm. So you can imagine that, uh, you know, this the situation that my brother and I had been through meant that all of our relationships through the years that we were growing up had been severed. So in every place where we made friends or where we had family, we would then be yanked away and all of our relationships lost and we weren't allowed to you know, get in touch and so on. Um, and, and then to find out that that was all just based on a lie, you can imagine how angry you might be. You know, I, I lost years of relationship with my father, uh, with my family. I lost great friends that I loved, and I was so angry. And I was angry at my mother, mostly for believing that story. How could you be so dumb to believe that story? Uh, of course, I had to forgive myself for believing that story, too. But, but mostly I was angry at Stan, who had deceived my mother and my whole family and, and made this terrible thing happen. And that, that was a lot to carry around for a long time. When I discovered uh, delusional disorder and, and attributed his behavior to that, suddenly I wasn't as angry anymore. I realized that, there ha that he had not intended to harm us that he wasn't, uh, you know, um, deliberately pulling a hoax on us. And that started to change my thinking. And then I realized that I could finally put down this terrible weight of anger and resentment and, you know, the wondering, the grand mystery of our lives, why, why, why. I could just put it all down. And I felt lighter for doing that. And, and as time has gone by, I realize that forgiveness is not for him or for my mother. That forgiveness has really been for me. I am the one who has benefited the most. Uh, and, and I think that people see forgiveness as a weakness. Uh, they see if you forgive, oh, you let them walk all over you. You let them fool you. You let them do something to you. And then you forgive them? What? You don't take an eye for an eye? You don't, you know, hold a grudge and get back at them when you can? 
So I think that's sort of a common way of thinking about forgiveness. It's a weakness. And you, and I certainly see that to some degree in the culture uh, online, or I'm thinking of Trump US, you know, this idea that if anybody pulls the wool over your eyes, you know, you're a fool and you must, you know, you should get back at them for that. I feel as though there's a fearfulness that is driving that. So when you forgive, the, the research is fascinating around this. You know, think about anger. When we're angry and fearful, think about what your heart is doing and your blood pressure is doing and your mind is doing. You know, you're in a almost a fight or flight uh, physical condition. The heart's pounding harder. The blood pressure is higher. Um, and all of that has an impact on your cardiovascular health and your, you know, your ability to fight off viruses and colds. And, you know, it, it has a full physiological effect to be angry in a state of anger and fear. And so I feel, and, and the uh, research sort of bears this out, that being able to put those emotions away is, is good for me in every respect. I feel lighter. I feel a certain sense of freedom uh, from those emotions. And my cardiovascular health is probably better. Uh, I, my immunity is probably better. But also, I'm happier. I just feel happier. Uh, I feel, um, yeah, it's freedom. It's a sense of freedom. So... Contrary to popular belief, we, uh, forgiveness is not um, a weakness, but it is a strength. It's certainly acted that way in my life. I feel more resilient, more able to uh, sort of deal with things. There's not this constant residue of anger and fearfulness uh, that it, uh, sort of creates my approach to the world. You know, the other thing is, I think that we all get to create our own narratives about what happens to us in our lives and how we deal with it. So I could have a narrative that is full of anger and resentment that is, I am a victim. This bad thing happened to my family and we were victims. It wasn't our fault. Isn't that awful? And I could spend the rest of my life resenting it. And, and telling that story about being, uh, you know, so badly treated. But, but really, is that how I want to feel about myself? So I get to choose what my narrative is. And so I choose a narrative that says, you know, this terrible thing happened in our lives. I was angry for a long time. I had a great opportunity to recognize that it wasn't, you know, that nothing is ever as black and white or as simple as we would like to think, that there were all kinds of complexity and reasons around what happened, uh, and that I have had the opportunity to get past it and to sort through it. Uh, and in fact, I wrote a best-selling book about it that has done great things for my life in many ways and connected we, me with many people. And so... It is more, you, my narrative is about overcoming and, and finding some peace within my own life as opposed to being a victim. Now, this is getting even more exciting for me. This is getting really 
juicy because, as you know, that's where my heart is. That regardless of what happens, as how we react, how we respond, how we tell the narrative, how we tell the story of what happened that actually can help us or hinder us. So, you wanted to be happier. Yeah, I think that, I think everybody wants to be happier. And I think one of the nice things about getting a little older <laughs> is that maybe you begin to see what actually works in life. And so for me, forgiveness was a major piece of that and recognizing what are the things that have given me resilience and, and allowed me to deal with things more effectively. Um, I also find that for me, exercise and knowing that I'm eating the right things and meditating every day those, and being out in nature, those are the things that make me happy. And, and you know, if I'm having a bad day, because everybody has a bad day at some point, if I go for a run at Point Pleasant Park, I know I will feel happy at the end of that run. So it's almost as though you learn your own prescription. Okay. So you not only want to be happy. Yes, many people say, most people do say they want to be happy. My question is always, what are you doing about it? And you have consistently done so much about it, but especially looking within and changing things. Um, we're going to discuss, I would love to talk more about the emotions and what it meant to you, especially given your uh, background and experience on uh, emotions and your health research and the impact on the body and immune system and everything else, because we hear these things, but we say, yeah, 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 I've heard enough. But doing them, believing them, is a different thing. I do have a quick question for you before we break uh, for this uh, particular segment. Is about, you mentioned about the narrative. What do you mean or further explain about uh, the narrative that you chose and you chose the narrative of uh, someone who can do something about it rather than a victim. So narrative is just the story we tell ourselves. It is, and it essentially means how do I choose to see this and where do I choose to put the focus? Am I going to focus on the hurt and the feeling, the negative feelings of betrayal and all of those things? Or am I going to focus on the relief that we've gotten through this and life lies ahead that can be whatever I choose it to be. Uh, so it, again, it's about being very conscious about what, what are you saying to yourself about your own circumstances. You know, um, I was talking about uh, cardiovascular health and immunity and all of those things. There, there has been a fairly recent uh, research paper that showed that people who carry anger into their old age um, are, have m 
more problems with uh, inflammation, for example. And of course, we know that inflammation has a lot to do with uh, cardiovascular health. Um, you know, they're looking at inflammation as causes or contributors to cancers and other kinds of conditions. So do, do I want to carry that weight and that uh, problem, all those problems with me into the future? No. And I haven't always consistently felt that way. But, you know, again, you, you get a little older, um, and I think sometimes it's time to really take, to assess, where are we, what am I doing, is it working? And if it's not working, you know, what else? Mm -hmm. Was there a turning point for you? Uh, because you said you haven't always done that. Was there a turning point? Yeah, I think the turning point was when I made the decision that I was going to stop trying to pretend that all that stuff hadn't happened to me and stop, you know, living what was essentially a secretive life. You know, most of my closest friends knew nothing about what had happened to my family. They just thought, oh, God, you guys moved around a lot. Oh, you don't really have any extended family. Oh, you know, I mean, but, but secrets put a wall up around you. Uh -huh. And, and so I, I would say that has been the other great benefit of telling my story, writing this book, putting it out in the world, is that I don't have those kinds of secrets anymore. And that is a very freeing thing as well. So that, that is, again, that's part of choosing to tell my story, choosing my narrative, and letting go of holding tightly to, the, to these secrets that made me feel quite lonely. I am once again taken back by the complexity, the depth of what you are sharing here, um, because it has taken so much um, attention, care, for you to be able to say that so clearly and easily. I've thought about it a lot for a long time. So yeah, I've come to some conclusions. <laughs> and I would l learn, I would love to learn more about and talk about those conclusions, some of the lessons you have learned before you wrote your book, while you were doing your research, and then afterwards, some of the things you have learned, and especially in terms of um, choosing consciously how you want to look at something. Um, because that is what I call the mindset. You pick how you want to look at something. You're not just a simple bystander who goes with the story and say, yeah, everything happens to me. You have a choice to make here which is the, fa um, the principle for everything we talk about here, and that um, we will conclude this segment, and we will um, s recap in, in the next segment. So thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Pauline, for taking the time and uh, providing uh, 
providing the space in your studio, in the studio here, so that we can do this. And uh, I am thrilled to have Pauline Dakin here as my guest here today. Um, thank you so much for listening uh, to Attitude of Altitude. Uh, mindset of happiness and that's what Pauline is exemplifying uh, and practicing it's a journey we all practice it there is no perfection in it we're all in this together uh, love to hear your feedback your questions your comments uh, and you can uh, visit my website um, RecognizeYourPotential.com. Love to hear your gifts of feedback. You know how um, active I am on social media and would love to connect on social media as well. Until next time, have a fantastic day. Practice the mindset of happiness and have a wonderful Wednesday. Please go to www recognizeyourpotential.com for more information about Floria. Floria would love to hear from you.